if you believe in your talent, your service, your product, whatever it is, take the risk. Just do it. You know, don't wait until it's perfect. I've come across so many people who believe that they need to spend years and years and years perfecting the idea. I am a huge believer that when it's at 60 to 70%, you've just got to go and you'll learn and you'll refine. Um, but the regret of not having taken that risk or not trying is so much worse to live with than the mistakes you might make in doing so. From Caribbean Ideas Synapse in Trinidad and Tobago, this is Uptick, a podcast that's part of the Snapshot Podcast Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of the Caribbean entrepreneurs and innovators who are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that have the potential to not only improve the Caribbean world, but also help the Caribbean world make an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, or maybe help spark your next great idea. I'm Chike Farrell, co-founder of Caribbean Ideas and your host for today's show. In today's broadcast, you'll meet Sophia Stone of Caribbean Cure. Sophia is an adopted Trini with Afghan-Canadian roots, who over the last four years has worked to build a tea business that is now not only selling regionally, but also repping for the Caribbean in markets throughout Europe and as far afield as Asia. You'll learn how Japan became her number one market globally, and how she pivoted from an initial business idea that wasn't quite working to grow her business by embracing every challenge and every failure as a learning opportunity. Today's episode is brought to you by Republic Bank Limited, who are committed to helping Caribbean small and medium-sized enterprises succeed on their path to business success. Check out Republic Bank SME Toolkit at republicsmetoolkit.com for founder stories, helpful content, and much more. So you walk into a store, select a product that you love off the shelf, check out, leave, go home and enjoy it. That's something we all do thousands of times. But then, for a smaller set of us, we have something that we or one of our family members do or make, something that we think is great and maybe others think is great too. But what if you could take that product and create the next Caribbean food and beverage brand so that ultimately you see your product on that grocery shelf? Well, that's what Sophia Stone, one of the co-founders of Caribbean Cure, was able to do along with her business partner, Stacey Cesarau. Today, we'll get Sophia's perspective on their journey, learning how she conquered the fear that can cripple any entrepreneur, jumping from a career as a lawyer to work first on a Caribbean supplements business before quickly evolving into teas and growing and evolving super rapidly as a leader and entrepreneur. You learn how she's navigated the complex world of building an export-driven business and some of the resources that are available to Caribbean entrepreneurs that she's used to be able to take her brand globally while keeping her team lean and mean. Finally, we'll explore some of the approaches, the inspirations and the decisions that have gone into building a product that could stay differentiated, be memorable, and most importantly, marketable on a global stage. How, how did the idea come about? I'm always interested in that sort of aspect of the origin story. How did, how did you kind of get that initial spark? Where did that come from? Yeah, you know, it was really unexpected. I actually just kind of was doing it for myself, you know, blending teas, using herbs, um, 
drying ginger, orange peel, all that kind of thing, just from my family and from my friends. And it's, it was kind of one of those light bulb moments because for Christmas, I had made some tea for my children's teachers. And um, a week later, we were on a WhatsApp group chat with some of the parents and the teacher sent this frantic message asking who had sent her the tea and where she could get more. And this kind of became a common trend in the people that I was giving it to. People just kept asking me, how can I get more? Can you make me more? And it became such an overwhelming response to just something that I was passionate about and sharing with family and friends that I kind of thought, you know, I was looking at the market and I saw some local tea companies, but I didn't see something quite like what I was doing. And the initial response from family and friends to just something that I was doing out of passion kind of pushed me in the direction to look at it more as a business idea. Um, and, and just really seeing how much potential in Trinidad in particular there was to use some of these herbs and roots and plants and turn them into commercially viable products that people can easily pick up in the grocery store or at a tea shop or even have at a restaurant. You know, that's kind of where the idea came from. Right. So, so it's interesting because you mentioned that, you know, there were, there was, you, you, you looked at the market and you, 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 you saw various options, but there wasn't something that was quite the same as, as what you were doing or so the way that you were thinking about it. But what, what were those things that you were like, yeah, you know, these are some of the, the differences between how, how I'm thinking about this or how I'm, how I'm approaching it that led you to feel like, you know, like there's a, there's an opportunity to be, to be a little different, um, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what I was seeing on the market was a really super localized product, which was almost powder in tea bags. You know, some quite a departure from what a lot of people would know in their, you know, their grandmother making for them. They'd be accustomed to their mom making for them. It was really quite a big uh, gap between those two experiences uh, for the consumer. So what I kind of thought was, you know, something needs to bridge that gap. You can go and you can buy these powdered uh, Karaili tea or ginger tea in the supermarket, but you keep, but it's not even close to that experience that you would get if your grandma was making you ginger tea, you know, and there was a, a whole spectrum of things that could have been done in between. And so where I saw an opportunity was to take that same ginger, turmeric, Karaili, whatever it was, and do it a little bit better than what was on the market. You know, take some time with the process of drying that raw material, really work on the packaging, kind of get it up to international level and standard and, and right. see, see what was going on in the market and try to bring that caliber of product to Trinidad. Now, now I understand that, you know, before you sort of went in the direction of tea, you, so is it, is it true that your, your first idea, um, that, sort of led you to jump out on your own was actually to do more, to go more in the supplement direction. Is yeah, that right? yeah, definitely. That was um, a huge failure <laughs> as that caused our pivot into teas. And, and now I like to call it a blessing in disguise. But initially when we, when I was looking at a lot of these healthy roots and herbs and plants and so forth, I thought, wow, the supplement industry in Trinidad is huge. And it's largely based on imported um, supplements. But when you look at a lot of this stuff, there's no reason why we can't do this here. There's, there's actually very little reason why there can't be a robust manufacturing sector in supplements in Trinidad, because right. it, it's really a simple process when you break it down. However, what I quickly learned was that the red tape and the bureaucracy between be, be behind actually getting those things done was gargantuan and something that really ultimately couldn't be overcome. We had put in an application to get 
our products uh, ready for export, which is kind of what we saw this turning into eventually with the supplements. And right. just just to have your products assessed was a seven year wait. So, you wow. know, as a business person, you can understand that that really wasn't uh, viable. And a lot of the reason was because the, the, the law states that if you want to make things like ginger, turmeric, karai, limau, bisaril, and you want to put it in a capsule, it immediately gets treated as a chemical drug. Whereas mm-hmm. if you take those exact same ingredients, you know, when you turn them into a loose leaf tea, it's treated as a food, which you can get done in two months. So that kind of was a moment for us where we said, look, we've done so much research into the healing properties of these things. It would be such an incredible waste to just let go of the idea now. How can we pivot? How can we turn this into something that there still is a need for and that we have some expertise in developing into a product? Right. So I want to kind of dig into that because, you know, I'm a a big fan of... um, Eric Ries and the Lean Startup Methodology, which which talks about um, you know uh, learning or failing fast, you know putting out right. you know, more products and kind of figuring it out um, and and kind of pivoting um, you know as soon as you sort of understand where there's real product market fit. And so that sounds like what you um, you know ultimately did. But I think you know as I understand you know you when you sort of look back at that experience a it's great that you you know did stop and think about what the different options were but when you think about that you know experience overall what are some things that you that you sort of feel like yeah you know i wish i did differently in the in the initial journey from supplement to 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 tea and caribbean cure i think early on i really was it was it was this was actually my first foray into startup life and entrepreneurship even though i've been surrounded by it my whole life this was the first time i was putting myself on the line and putting my name out there and i think i was pretty crippled by fear so initially i did kind of follow that model where i started really really super small But of course, there was some investment required uh, just to get the machinery. And so I was really afraid to do more than one thing at any given time. So when I started with the supplements, I started on a small scale. I started just with one idea with the supplements, take these roots and herbs and so on. But if I look back on it, even though it was a great learning point for me, I wish that I was brave enough to kind of... um, you know, go ahead and start the tea at the same time, because I had the idea for the tea early on as well. But I just thought, okay, the supplement, after doing some research, there definitely was demand, everything seemed to line up properly. Um, You know, let's just go ahead with that. I wish that I had been brave enough to say, yeah, let's also do the tea at the same time, because the traction that the teas had gotten so quickly, if I had started four years ago with the teas at the same time, I think it could have been, um, I think it could have gotten, I could have learned the lessons much quicker then, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because I think for me, um, you know, kind of coming at it from, from Caribbean ideas, um, you know, one of the things that my business partner and I always look back at and it was like, well, you know, we, we, we had the idea and we started doing one thing and then we, you know, we would say that we've pivoted four times, but it took us, it took us maybe about four years to really jump into the business full time. You know, yeah, yeah. Jobs, you were working at Guardian, I was working at Microsoft and you kind of have that, you know, is it, is it now? Is it now? Should you do it? Should you not? And you kind of look back afterwards and you're like, wow, you know, what would have happened if we had done it a year earlier or two years earlier? Or maybe yeah. a new you know, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, making that leap 
because it's a, it's a thing that a lot of people have either dreams or ambitions. Some people have their side hustle and they want, they want it to be their full hustle, but, but they, they are sort of paralyzed sometimes by, by making that leap. So you made it, um, you know, what were some of the things that you were thinking about? What were some of the things that, 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 uh, that helped you get over the line and say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to cut this cord and, and jump in. You know, I think, I think you're right. Definitely. The fear can be paralyzing. I think for me, something I've always hold held true to myself in this journey has been the only thing you need to be afraid of as an entrepreneur is being lazy. And I genuinely believe that. I think once you're willing to commit to an idea and execute it and see it through and not give up, like that's really the, the main thing is not giving up because there will be failures. <laughs> I mean, you can rely on that. Um, yep. There will be a million lessons you learn. There will be a million mistakes. There'll be a million things you can look back on and say, oh gosh, I wish we had done that differently. But the main thing seems to remain consistent amongst all the SME um, friends that I have too. We talk about it a lot. It's just that that grit, that determination, that drive, and that belief that no matter what, I am not going to give up on my idea. You know, I hear a lot of people refer to their businesses as their babies. And I think it's an interesting analogy because I think yep. you really have to have that same kind of fierce dedication and unconditional right. love for it because this this life and this journey in entrepreneurship, especially in the Caribbean, will test you. It will test all the patience. It will test all the intelligence. It will test all the resourcefulness that you have as a person. But as long as you can persevere and kind of jump all through all the hurdles, I have seen time and time again, every kind of idea from pepper sauce to creative design to tea to anything that you can think of. I have seen the people who make it in Trinidad and Tobago are those who just did not give up and pivoted when they needed to and just kept going and were brave enough to say, I believe so much in my idea. I believe so much in what I'm doing that I'm willing to publicly put myself out there I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, my, my nine to five and that steady paycheck that comes in and I'm willing right. to risk it all. You know, I think that's yeah. the, re the, for me, that's always been it. In the Caribbean, we look a lot at, you know, uh, businesses and entrepreneurs around the world and, and we admire the, you know, North American, Canadian, American culture where they, you know, they, they get it. They, they jump in, they try, they fail, they start again. It gets more entrepreneurial, I would say, with every generation, um, you know, but certainly sort of like my parents' generation would have been more risk averse, go get a great job than my generation. That's still, you know, more or less the case, but more entrepreneurs. And then, you know, I think the the, the younger, um, you know, folks out there now, are they, you know, they've seen many years of entrepreneurs. They're just, they're just like going out and jumping in. But talk a little bit about... Um, you know, entrepreneurship from a, from a growing up, um, you know, what you've seen, you know, from family, parents, other folks as you were growing up, did you, did you grow up around that culture of being willing to take a risk and, and jump in and, and, and try things? Yeah. You know, I have a really interesting, uh, personal history with entrepreneurship because I had parents who escaped war in Afghanistan moved to Canada with nothing more than $200 left to their name and really struggling early on. Um, they were educated, but just language barriers and a whole host of issues that many people face when they are uh, migrants. But seeing them and 
watching their journey and their eventual success really inspired me a lot because they both started out in typical nine to five steady stable careers my father was an architect and my mother was an insurance and both of them worked for 10 plus years for other people in a company in that really comfortable life and in that decade watching them you know yeah they had the paychecks but they just weren't progressing and they weren't able to jump to where they hoped to jump at the same speed that they were when they began starting to do uh, more entrepreneurial things. So after they both kind of quit their job, they started to take that leap of faith. They started their own business and seeing the growth and seeing the rewarding feeling of working for yourself and just seeing their experiences in, in shifting from that stable nine to five corporate life to the entrepreneurial life where they just grew and progressed so much faster and just did so much for themselves and, and they were happier and they were more adventurous and they were, they're gaining more meaning from their day-to-day activities, you know, seeing right. that, I think that impacted me hugely. And now my brother, my uncles, everyone in our family is entrepreneurial. And a lot of them started out in more corporate jobs. So seeing everybody around me and, and learning from their experiences in terms of just the benefits of if you're a hardworking person. And I mean, both of them were very hardworking people, but the payoff when you're dedicated and a hardworking person and you're creative and intelligent, in my opinion, and definitely I'm biased because I am an entrepreneur, is far greater when you take those chances and you're passionate and you start your own business. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think one of the things that's, that's really, you know, it's sort of unique about the entrepreneurial journey. And you said it, you know, it's like entrepreneurship is you know it's exciting and it's challenging and it's it's risky but it can be super rewarding but it's also a little bit of a slog right you 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 sometimes you know long days long nights you're you know you're you're worried about things you're hopeful about things and you're kind of balancing what are some of the ways that you manage the you know the stresses of being an entrepreneur i mean i've i've it's been a steep learning curve i think um you know, you, you can listen to so much great advice from seasoned entrepreneurs and they'll always tell you, you know, just take it as it comes. Just, just keep going, keep, keep that grit up and and just keep dedicating yourself to your craft. But one of the things that I've had to learn the hard way is to let things go, let things go when I don't have control over them. And in Trinidad and Tobago, it is a context, um, in the entrepreneurial journey where you really have to get good at that fast because if you if you get hung up on the little things that happen or the injustices or the challenges or just the rigor of trying to get through simple things in a day that take tons of time when you would expect them to take a lot less time you have to just get over it and keep moving and keep moving and just keep moving on to the next thing because Getting stuck in that moment is really tricky. So for me, that's been just being really intentional about understanding that this is, I don't want to say a game. I don't want to downplay it and say a game, but this is something that I'm committed to. It's a process. And and I just expecting that things are going to come and not emotionally attaching myself to those challenges, not emotionally investing in those, you know, hiccups or things that go wrong. Just crying. I guess for me is finding that balance is really separating the emotion from the journey. You know, that, that's been the challenge is just separating the emotion from it, not getting worked up, not feeling down on myself when things don't go right. Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think there, there are lots of different ways that, that people do that. I think one of the things that for me has been interesting, and it's probably a good, a good uh, way that we could switch tax a little bit, um, is that, you know, 
I've been in business for a, a long time with a, with a good friend and, and a business partner. And I think one of the things that that leads to is that it, it, it leads to a shared, a shared struggle, right? And of yeah, course, there are lots yeah. of things that are challenging about having business partners as well. I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, all, all the different aspects, you know, but, but you were able to do that. And I think, you know, I understand that, um, you know, when you were, uh, you know, kind of like considering, well, should I keep going? You know, you've, you've invested savings, you invested time and money and people were saying, yeah, maybe you should go back to, you know, nine to five. Um, and then you, you had, you know, a friend who, who believed in the idea. So, so tell me a little bit more about the backstory there, you know, that to go, go back to that point in time when you were kind of, yeah, yeah let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. And so it kind of pins back to my point of not giving up. I reached a point after the failure of the supplements when we were looking at having to close up shop. And I thought to myself, you know what? No, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. I really believed in the pivot with the teas. And I had been sharing my trials and tribulations with at the time, my next door neighbor, Stacy. And she, she's a, she's quite a seasoned professional in the health industry. Um, at a governmental level. So she, I guess, was listening with a different lens, uh, looking at it with a different perspective. And she really loved the idea. She believed in it a lot. And she said, you know what, let's do this. I'm ready to come in with you. Let's do the tease. Don't give up. Let's, let's do it. So I kind of looked at that as an opportunity to keep going. It was almost like fuel for me because sometimes when you have those failures, it really can, it can really bring you down. And then when you have somebody who just is so passionate and believes in what you, what you thought all along, it can, it can propel you to keep going. And that definitely was the case with Stacy. So she kind of loved the idea of, of the tease and said, you know what, I, I want to invest in this. I want to do this with you. I want to be your partner and keep going with the tease. And, and that kind of was exactly what I needed at that time. So Stacy came in as a 50, 50 partner with me and we launched the teas and we evolved them from our first iteration, which was in jars. And we took them globally. I mean, now we're in Japan. We're starting this year to launch in Europe. Um, we're all over the world um, in smaller cases, but but definitely in a bigger case in Japan. And seeing that progression from just having it as a dream in my kitchen and, and conversations with her to where it's come, it, I definitely credit her with a lot because if she hadn't given me that beacon of hope, I don't mm-hmm. think I would have been able to keep going, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, I think people come to um, their, their business partnerships in a lot of different ways. So that's really interesting in that, you know, your business partner was your next door neighbor and, you know, it was kind of like put right there in front of you. But if if you were talking to, you know, uh, uh, an up and coming innovator who who has an idea and maybe they're good at this part, but they don't have strengths in another part and they're like, oh, you know, should I partner? Should I not? What are some of the things that, that, that you've learned that you would say are really important in, in finding a business partner that that complements you and your skills and how, how, how could somebody go about you know figuring that out well definitely so the interesting thing is with stacy coming from a more corp uh, i wouldn't say corporate but from a governmental background and being just a wizard with the paperwork and the administrative side of it and the organizational side of it that was a hundred percent what made our partnership perfect was because i consider myself more the creative um passionate kind of <laughs> formula right. maker cookies, you know, like I like all the, yeah. the crazy, yeah, exciting herbs, herb life stuff. And and I love to look at the properties of the plants. And so when I get really excited about ideas, whereas Stacy will ground me, 
And Stacy will put me back into the business side of things and remind me, okay, well, let's do our strategic plan. And what about our inventory? And what about our sales report? And she's fantastic at pulling together the sides of the business that I am not keen to pay attention to. And, right. and likewise, you I'm very much going in or, or like, like, did you have oh, that yeah. No, definitely, or- definitely. I mean, I think because of our friendship, I knew what kind of person she was. I knew that she was a CEO. I knew what her skills were and she knew how I was. And I think we realized very quickly that we are complementary to each other and we both needed that. I mean, Caribbean Cure needed that. If it was just me, things would have gotten so unorganized, so unruly. Um, we wouldn't have had a plan and developed the way that we, we have. And so I think if you're an, if you're an up and coming entrepreneur and you're thinking about a partnership, you really have to, I know it's easy to align yourself with people who are very similar to you and agree with all your ideas and tell you everything is beautiful all the time, but looking for somebody who has those kind of, um, the skills that aren't, that don't come as easily to you, somebody who will challenge you, somebody who will force you to think a little bit differently than your natural way of thinking, this can only make you stronger as a unit. And I could, I could definitely say that that's true for Stacy and I, because we think differently, we have different strengths. And when we come together, sometimes there are tense conversations and sometimes the meetings are a little bit stressful, but I can guarantee that because of that process, our decisions come out better in the end. One of the things that I've seen attributed to your co-founder, Stacey, is that, you know, she said, we try not to worry about being successful. What we do is work toward being significant. And, you know, one of the things that I think about brands, um, when you think about your brand promise, uh, it's just as important to think about who you are as who you're not. So I want you to tell me about um, decisions. Give me an example of decisions and things that you've chosen not to do that could have led to more, quote unquote, success but maybe weren't aligned with, with being significant or impactful. Sure. I think Stacey and I have always really felt that it was important that our brand and our product and our process really truly be local and truly reflect the Caribbean identity because it was something that we were passionate about and something that really inspired our product. So for us, you know, when there were options and opportunities to simply bring in similar formulas from abroad, similar tea um, combinations from the US and slap on our label and, and resell it, we turned away from those opportunities, even though it would have been infinitely easier than what we chose to do. Because for us, I think um, being significant and being a real local manufacturer of tea is, has always been important and will continue to be important to us. Yeah, no, that's super powerful. And let's kind of drill in a little bit to the to the business, right? I think there are lots of people in the Caribbean, um, and and you kind of mentioned it earlier on, right? There's some there's some brands. I have some brands here sitting in the in the US um, that I love that have you know started to grow, and I'm seeing them on Amazon, and they're growing in in different areas. But you know, there's lots of people in the Caribbean who you know. If they have something that they make or that their grandmother made or their father made and that, you know, they want it, they, they feel like they could tune it into something real. And you've managed to, to sort of cross that gap. Um, but of course, there's lots of things that, that go into creating a product that could be consumed, that's safe, that's, you know, exportable, etc. So I want to talk a little bit more about some of the, the learning that you've had along that along that journey right um right. you know particularly around manufacturing how do you how do you go about if you're interested in 
taking a brand to the world, starting to 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 to, to create a formula and manufacture it consistently. What have what have you learned on on that journey? Well, I've learned that it's incredibly difficult <laughs> and it requires a lot of intention and commitment, but definitely it is it is something that can be achieved in Trinidad and Tobago and with an increased focus on entrepreneurship, especially in the food and beverage sector, where I think there's a host of potential and so many fantastic food products and, and beverage products here that the world is just waiting to get to know. Um, I think one thing that has been really helpful for us in our journey is working with some of the organizations that help support food and beverage manufacturers. So working with people in the industry who have maybe they'll be in the form of grants or sometimes they will just have experts who can be consultants. That's been really helpful. Um, I know some of the government supported organizations also offer free courses in how to become qualified in food safety. Um, that's all of those things we've, Stacy has been a wizard at finding out all of those opportunities regionally and locally and taking advantage of those. But for us, what we just did, we did a lot of research and we wanted our product to be safe and we wanted it to be something that we could have a lot of pride in and reliance in and confidence. And when we share it with the world, because that can make or break your brand in an instant, you know, if, if your customer trusts your product and especially in Trinidad and Tobago, it's really important. Um, in Japan, we faced huge issues with uh, trustworthiness as for a product coming from Trinidad and Tobago. So when you have all of these standards and regulations and proof that you've taken the time to really think about the food safety of your product, it helps you. It helps you break into those markets. You know, it's it's really important. And I think I think now in Trinidad, there is more of a focus on that, and we are moving in a much more positive direction. Um, to kind of get level up to where the American brands are, for example, or the Canadian brands. Trinidad is doing a lot. A lot of the SMEs in Trinidad are getting up to that level. Right. And, and so you're, you're interesting in the sense that you've got, you know, the Trinidad and Tobago market, you've got the Caribbean market, you've got, you know, the world, and you've had to make choices about, well, where do I start? How do I go about it? There are different audiences, different ways to sort of land the products. And, you know, one of the things that I know is, uh, maybe unique about you is that you you've done a lot of export uh, and built built out um, a market in Japan, um, and you kind of skip some of the more yeah. traditional you know places. You're you're from Canada, and yes. you can go to North America easily, but you ended up you know exporting Caribbean goods to, to to Japan. So tell me how did that, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, whenever I tell people that we're the first company in the history of Trinidad and Tobago to sell our products in Japan. They kind of look at me like I'm crazy. What brought you to Japan? How did you do that? Well, why would you even think of selling tea to Japan? Which arguably Japan might be the number one country for export of tea, um, maybe next to China. So how that happened was really serendipitously. I mean, we had no intentions of taking Caribbean care to Japan at the time when it happened. We were still in our early iterations of our tea product. So I had actually gone across to Japan and met a couple people there. And of course, at that point in time, and I would highly recommend this for anybody who has a passion project or a product that they believe in, anywhere I would travel personally, I would carry samples of my tea, no matter what. I would pack my suitcase with at least five or six tins of the tea or the bottles or whatever it was at that time. I can't remember. I think it was the bottles. 
And every person I met who I felt could or couldn't help me in some way, whether they owned a restaurant, whether they worked in a PR firm, whatever it was, I would give them a bottle of my tea. So when I was in Japan, I met a lady who worked in a huge marketing and PR firm and I had given her a tin of the tea and, you know, kind of shared a little bit of the story with, with her and she absolutely loved it. She was just completely fascinated by it. She really thought this could be something that would take off in Japan. And over the course of two years and building a relationship with in Asia and in Japan in particular is really important. We kind of fleshed that passion she had for the product out and it turned into a partnership and she invested into it and she brought it across to Japan and I've been there many times. And so that really grew organically from just taking that initiative of saying, you know what, I love this product. I'm going to take this with me everywhere I go and I'm going to put myself out there. And, and just from a connection like that, you know, it's incredible what has happened. But those, those things are so important when you have your own business to always be selling yourself and selling your product and not, I don't think I want to say you should overdo it, but definitely for me, that opened up a whole world for me. It's just always carrying my products with me everywhere I go. Right. So, so, so tell us about the markets that your teas are in now. Yeah. So we are in Japan. We are selling on an e-commerce platform in Japan, as well as in some retail and um, restaurants there, some retail shops and restaurants across there. We are also selling in Europe and we export our teas to various different players in the region. So our most notable customer was a lady who worked with a company in the U.S. who sent like these kind of gift boxes, curated gift boxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So she would order. And, th and that's an example of something that you wouldn't normally think of. She would order tons of tea for us and she would put them in the boxes and she'd send them out to corporate companies in America for these curated Caribbean gift boxes. And that was really a fantastic channel for us. But yeah, so we currently export to the British Virgin Islands, to Barbados, Jamaica, the region, some in America and some in Canada, but not as much. Definitely Japan is our number one market. And this year we'll be looking to launch in Europe. Gotcha. So so it's interesting because you mentioned earlier on, you know, hey, take advantage of some of the agencies and, you know, and opportunities that are out there to either, you know, get food safety up or, or, or figure out how to, to, you know, move into different markets. And I know I've seen a few things around, you know, Caribbean exports and some of the other agencies. So, so how have you been able to, to use or partner or collaborate with with export agencies in, in Trinidad and the Caribbean to advance your goals? Stacey and I, are, we operate a very, very lean company. So we rely a lot on the services that already exist. So the Caribbean Export Development Agency has been absolutely fantastic in helping us uh, connect internationally with different players. I would say locally, Export TT, the Chamber of Commerce, those kind of organizations have been phenomenal just with, as a resource in terms of learning about the laws, the processes, how to get certified and that kind of thing. They've been really helpful as well. So I think depending on what your product is, you have to first do the research. I mean, Stacey and I did tons of research into finding out what was already out there. And then once we did, we just contacted them, shared our product with them, went in there, you know. I think sometimes it's easy to say, oh, there's nothing available, but there actually is a lot in the region if you take the time to introduce yourself, to do the research and to, and to find out what you can benefit from.
When we come back, Sophie is going to talk with us a little bit more about how she approaches marketing and brand building and some of the decisions that they've made to keep the brand differentiated and memorable. Now, for many of you entrepreneurs out there, you might have started thinking about owning your own space or owning your own building. For some of you, it's a way to reduce operating costs. For others, it's a way to build up assets and create something that you can hand down to future generations. Whatever the reason, if you're thinking about investing in your own property, check out Republic Bank and learn how you can qualify for a commercial mortgage today. Remes as a co-owner of a of a integrated marketing company or ad agency. If we didn't spend a bunch of time talking about branding and marketing, yeah. um, <laughs> some um, some super interesting things. I want to talk first about your shift from you know jars to to tins, and you have you know some really cool, unique packaging. And you you mentioned earlier on you're taking the time to. Um, you know, to make it something you'd be proud of. So, so talk, talk us through that process. How did you, how did you get to that shift um, and to that unique look? Yeah, the devils are in the detail. That packaging is such a key component to our success. I think it literally took us from point A to where we are now because that, without that packaging and without that, that real intention behind the brand, I'm not sure that we would have had the success that we have. Uh, we started with what we thought, what we felt at the time was a really local theme, which was in the, the glass jars, which if you're in Trinidad and Tobago, I'm sure you've seen them before. Everybody who has a pepper sauce or any kind of product uses these same jars. We all get them from the same suppliers. And we started out with that because, um, it was just the easiest thing that we could get our hands on. And we thought, Hey, we want our, our consumer to see the product. So we started with these jars. We got, I don't know how many thousands of jars, filled them up, sealed them up and, and, put put them to the market and they did all right you know they did all right but it really was too much of a what was already being done in the market the, the branding the aesthetic everything about it didn't scream interesting or you know premium nothing like that so we we weren't really happy with it we went through label changes we went through a few changes but we just weren't happy with it and at that point in time we were faced with a decision of investing a whole set of money and developing our own packaging or just trying to find another bottle or or bag or whatever might be on the market. And we kind of strategically made the decision that it was worth it, that we wanted to create wow packaging, you know, something that had that wow factor and something that would kind of take us to that next level. And it turned out to be a really incredibly useful gamble because we won an award at Cial Innovation uh, for Cial Innovation in Paris, which is a global food show. And they had like Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Nestle, huge companies in this competition. And our packaging was what stood out. So in the end, you know, that gamble really paid off for us. And what we wanted in our brand was a really Caribbean, authentic um, aesthetic, something that really screamed uh, Caribbean, you know, but not in a way that had been done before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something that was really tastefully done. So we partnered with a local artist and she captured our vision fantastically eve rypaul she's amazing so she actually hand drew the paintings and we took that we put it on some colors and we went and worked with some partners in china and we could have gone with the round cylinder that you normally see with tea but we wanted to be different so we got them we did we had a little window put in the front so you could still see the tea we had those square boxes custom design and it was it was an investment 
But in the end, we just we just felt so strongly that we wanted to stand out. When we're on that shelf, we want people to look at our tea and say, hey, what is that? That's different. But it's very Caribbean. You know, we wanted it to still be very Caribbean. Right. And, and you know, it's interesting because, you know, you're, you're, you're building a product for the world. Um, uh, and you want that you want that instant reaction and that instant sort of like intrigue what would have been some of the the things that you found in sort of marketing the brand and representing the caribbean um globally what are some of the things that people assume automatically uh that that are helpful but but also the things that you found that people assume automatically that aren't i think the people the thing that people assume automatically is that um that it I don't, I don't know how to put this into words in an eloquent way, but basically they have an idea of the Caribbean. And I think what the challenge is in Trinidad is seeing that we can use that to our advantage. I think globally, people see the Caribbean in a much more positive manner, um, just in terms of a brand. Like the Caribbean has such an incredible brand as a region globally. And then when you're in Trinidad and when you're in the Caribbean, uh, you can kind of have different ideas of what Caribbean means. But right. what we... What we've done is we've said, look, this is a super Caribbean brand. Everything about us is Caribbean. We love the feel of the Caribbean. We use Caribbean indigenous ingredients. We use that aesthetic. We really sell the Caribbean. And the feedback globally has been incredibly positive. So we've found that people around the world really respond positively to this. And representing the Caribbean and being a very forward Caribbean brand has served us so incredibly well. So we don't shy away from that. But what I think the key has been has to has been to elevate that brand and say, look, we can do it at the same level as Americans or Europeans or Asians, but we can still use that Caribbean identity in that premium kind of packaging and branding, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about inspiration. Um, you know, what are some of the brands that, that you look up to um, and that you sort of aspire to and, and why? Uh, I'm going to ask you a question in return, locally oh. or globally? Uh, both. Why don't we do an example local and an example global? Sure. I think locally, the brand that I just admire so much is Coco Bell, which is a chocolate company. And she has a beautifully Caribbean aesthetic in her packaging. And it's really, um, I think a phenomenal example of a local company that's kind of elevated that Caribbean brand to another level. So I really have a lot of respect for her and, and what she's doing. Um, globally, I really admire this company called Rishi Tea. Um, I, I don't know if use the word admire, I think maybe more inspired by yeah. is probably, yeah, inspired is a better word because they, really kept tea simple. They had beautiful packaging. And I remember 10 years ago, maybe it was, maybe not so long, maybe about seven years ago, buying their tea in Whole Foods and looking at it and saying, oh, this is beautiful packaging. I wish I could do something like this. Like just really connecting with that packaging and that brand. And it was really simple, but really strong. And it was funny because last year they started following us on social media. And I just remember thinking, you know, it's funny how in the Caribbean, sometimes we look at these global brands and we think we can't do this, but we have such um, an advantage here with the aesthetic of the Caribbean and the brand that it is globally that it's incredible what we can do when we really think about how you can capitalize on that brand image of the region. No, absolutely. And, 
Does that kind of come back to to some some decisions that you've made in in terms of uh, you know we talked about packaging, but really you know in in your world, packaging and product go hand in hand, and you made the decision to 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 you know kind of just put all your ingredients together uh, loose in the in the tin. So how did you how, how do you decide that that was the right way to go? Because it's 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 not the most common approach. Um, no. What down that that path it's definitely not the most common approach and i would say um maybe we would gain some praise from from you and your business partner because it was a a result of going lean early on and trying Mm -hmm. to minimize overhead costs we if you want to buy a teabagging machine it is an incredibly expensive piece of equipment and then to bring it into trinidad even more so with freight and so on because they're quite heavy as well so we initially had no choice we said look we don't want to invest millions and millions of dollars early on, what's a way that we can do it, that we can still present these teas? And we thought, hey, loose leaf is perfect. We can use moringa, we, we can use moringa leaves, we can use some ginger, we can use turmeric, we can blend them into the blends that we want, and we just tell people to use strainers. This worked really well with our brand kind of mission as well, because we we are quite a eco-conscious company. And so teaching the market or the tea drinking market about the benefits of using a strainer rather than using tea bags also was, was part of it. But really it came about as a, as something that we didn't really have a choice in because we couldn't afford to have tea bags. In the food and beverage business, you're always having to kind of balance. You have to, to market your brand on the trade to, to the folks who are going to, you know, buy your product and distribute it or the restaurants or the, the groceries, et cetera. And then you have to market to end customers as well. Um, you know, what are the two or three things, let's say three things that, you know, you really want people to associate with the Caribbean Cure brand? Premium, natural and healthy. And why, why are those the three things that really matter? Why, why is it important to be, you know, premium, natural and, and healthy for you? And how is that, how is that differentiating relative to other competition? I think when we started with the teas, what really inspired us in terms of the ingredients that we use um, from Trinidad was that they just have such immense health benefits. And then taking that and really just sharing it with the customers, that's always been really important to us. So I think um, doing that in a way where it's still a really high quality experience for the end user, but also preserving and maintaining the integrity of the ingredients that we're using. That's kind of the core of what our product is and and what's important to us in terms of being a meaningful product, you know, creating a meaningful product for our consumers. And I think that differentiates us because a lot of the products on the market are either imported teas or people who do use local teas do it in the way that has been done for many, many years in the past. And it's not really a high quality or premium product, you know, it's, it's very much a low end product, cheaper cost. Yeah. And so for us, that that's kind of our competitive advantage is we're taking the beauty of what's here, but we're turning it into a really quality experience for our customers. Yeah. And, and there are, there are some things that, you know, I know are really important to you that are beyond sort of like, you know, the nuts and bolts of business. You do a lot of things to, to, to emphasize local manufacturing and ingredients, to, to, to emphasize wellness and to, to give back to the community. Can you talk a little bit about some of those, those causes that you support and are really passionate about that you use your business to advance? 
Yeah, we, we've always been really passionate about the farmers that we work with. So we're trying to do a lot of education programs and trying to facilitate working with a network of micro farmers or people who maybe don't necessarily see themselves as being able to supply big companies, but working with them to get them to that point. So that's kind of been our more recent focus, um, working with networks of micro farmers. But we're also really interested in pushing forward a more environmentally sustainable footprint for our company internally, but also helping people in Trinidad and Tobago learn about the importance of being environmentally conscious and and doing uh, things within our abilities as a manufacturing company to kind of offset our footprint or just kind of share with people the importance of using ingredients in a way that also promotes healthy lifestyles and wellness. All of those things are pretty critical to our brand and what we stand for and where we hope to continue to go in the future. Yeah, yeah that's great. How do you market um, the brand to, to end consumers? What, what channels do you use? How do you kind of keep, keep that ongoing engagement with, with your customers? So social media has been a fairly important one for us. Uh, we still engage with traditional media because we've been, after we won the award in Paris and then also with the Global Tea Championships, we got a lot of press um, requests. And so we would do interviews and so on. And so sometimes our customers would learn about us that way. But I would say social media is probably our most powerful channel of communicating with our customers. And we try to bring value by adding recipes or you know, links to different tools that they can use. We really want to focus on sharing with our customers the importance of health and wellness and a balanced lifestyle as well. But uh, we sell our products online in retail outlets uh, through different subscription boxes and pretty much every channel you could think of in restaurants. I think now we now we've just uh, finished a deal with the Hilton Hotel where we will be their tea of choice, which is great. Mm-hmm. That's going to be exposing our brand to foreigners who maybe come in and out, but they can interface with our product. So that that's fantastic as well. Yeah. And and so you talk about social, which is obviously near and dear to my heart. We, yeah. we as, uh, Synapse started off as a digital focused agency. So so what channels do you use? What what are you on? Are you on? Yeah. I have to credit Stacy with being uh, quite good about keeping our Twitter account alive. Um, we're on LinkedIn, we're on, we're on Instagram and Facebook as well. We haven't quite graduated to, um, what's that one that all that the one, the yellow one, I can't remember what that one's called. That's I'm, I'm revealing my age now. <laughs> I, uh, I am Mm-hmm. Snapchat, TikTok. We haven't graduated to that just yet. And a lot of people yeah. have been saying we should, but we're just on more of the traditional ones, Facebook, yeah. Instagram. Yeah. But, and I found that that's actually been an incredible tool. And I think for any entrepreneur in leveling the playing field, you know, a long time ago, you needed so much money to be able to share your product or your content with the world. Now you can run, you know, a ten dollar budget and and go on social media and have an incredible impact. It's really quite a, an, an amazing tool for us. It has been to get our global reach has been social media for sure. Yeah. So you know, of course, we have to spend a little bit of time on um, on on family and and work life balance. And so you know, we talked a little bit about 
um, coming from, you know, an entrepreneurial family growing up, but you also have, you know, husband and brother-in-law who are entrepreneurial, have very successful, um, you know, chain of restaurants and, and products and so on. Um, and, and, and a couple of kids. So how do you, how do you keep it all balanced? How do you, how do you, you know, um, find ways to, to, to do it all? Yeah, I've just, I'm still working on it as I'm sure most entrepreneurs are still trying to find uh, the secret, the secret formula for that one. But recently I've tried to really, um, integrate yoga and meditation into my days. And I found that's been incredible. You know, I always kind of looked at that as something that maybe I wouldn't be able to connect with, but but just carving out an hour of my day for yoga or meditation or just some quiet time with my thoughts and, and clearing my head has been very, very helpful. My husband, who is also a serial entrepreneur, um, he ha probably has just as crazy a life as I do, if not more. And we have kids as well. And I travel a lot with Caribbean Cure. So he's been incredibly supportive. But he also, being an entrepreneur, is very um, understanding of what it takes to kind of build your business. So that's been yeah. really helpful. Yeah, I think in some ways, when you're married to an entrepreneur, and you are an entrepreneur, there are obviously a lot of challenges. But in many ways, it's fantastic. And it really is a gift because you can understand each other and you know exactly what each other is going through. You can support each other, you can kind of, it's like a built in consultant, you know, for free. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you can take advantage of that for sure. Yeah. Um, we can we look forward. Let's talk a little bit about goals and ambitions, right? What do you what do you hope for um, the business in you know three years, five years? Where where are you hoping to take Caribbean Cure? I hope that Caribbean Cure will continue to be important to people. I mean, some, nothing makes me happier than when I get calls from customers who just tell me how much they love the product. Still to this day, it gives me butterflies, you know? So I think my dream would be that we could just impact more people, share this kind of tea, share the Caribbean formulas for ginger tea and so on with more people around the world and introduce them to the gifts that we have here in Trinidad. That would really be my dream for, for Caribbean Cure, I think. So, Sophia, you know, you, you have some interesting views on failure and learning and, and, and kind of growing from, from your experiences. I think I read a quote that said, you know, do not fear mistakes. Regrets are far more difficult to deal with than mistakes. Um, can you share a little bit more about that, that philosophy and how did you, how did you kind of come to that? And what are some examples of things that you learned from that, that you think kind of led you to, to, to be better the next time around? I think with my formal training as a lawyer, it was really a shift in mindset to embrace the failure. <laughs> but I think in startup life, one of the lessons that I've learned is that they're not ever really failures. Whenever you make mistakes, they are such beautiful lessons that you can learn from. And every single thing that I have failed at, whether it's the supplements, whether it was getting excited about a deal that fell through ultimately, Whatever the mistake or the, I guess, failure you want, if you want to call it that, has is always gleaned a really important lesson that has helped pave the way for future successes. So to me, I've had to really mentally change the way I feel about things that don't go right. Because in the past, I might have looked at it as this failure is something that I should feel sad about and I should really dwell over and regret and so forth. But now I try to look back at everything that hasn't gone right and see where I can either learn from it or how it contributed to something that ended up better off in the, in, in afterwards. And I think that's really been 
critical in continuing and being able to be balanced and level-headed about everything when all those challenges are placed upon you because those failures can be crippling at times, you know, and it's, it comes back to that point of taking the emotion out of it. But failure to me has always been also an opportunity to learn and also has instructed my steps in how I move forward. So it's almost like a, a lesson if you look at it in that way. Whereas regret, which is, I think in that quote, I always, nothing burns me more than regret. Nothing burns me more than regret. There have been so many times in my life where I've looked back and I said, I wish I put myself out there. I wish I wasn't as shy. I wish I pushed myself to, to start that conversation with that person in the room and I didn't feel funny about it because that regret, it will haunt you. But if you went and you didn't and it didn't turn out the way you wanted, you've learned from that. You're also a Caribbean woman entrepreneur, right? Um, you know, what are some of the things that, you know, for other entrepreneurs out there, female entrepreneurs who want to get going or are, you know, in business and kind of trying to go further, what are some of the things that, you know, have been challenges for you um, in, in your experience as a, as a female entrepreneur? I think that a lot of the challenges I've faced as a female entrepreneur I, I'm sure I could share them with many other entrepreneurs globally, but one of the, the biggest challenges is just the prejudice or the assumptions that come with being somebody who owns a company. So when I was in Germany, for example, I was showcasing my teas and a gentleman came up to me and said, you know, you have all these people who keep coming up to your booth and you have all these customers, and all these people are really interested. It's only because, you know, you're a woman and they're interested in just talking to you. And I kind of chuckled and I laughed and I said, you know, <laughs> that's quite an assumption. And, and But I, I learned to take those things in stride and not to let them affect me because I think as a female in business, your limitations are what you allow them to be. And I really genuinely believe that we are lucky enough to live in a world now and in the Caribbean where really all the opportunities are there for us. We just have to be able to, to take advantage of them. And I don't think that there's any barrier too great to overcome. So maybe it, it is a little harder. I definitely would admit that there are challenges that I don't think male entrepreneurs have to deal with. But to me, I've always sought a way around them or over them. And I don't think that they're prohibitive enough to stop me from getting to where I need to go. Yeah, great. Um, how do you, how do you uh, sharpen this saw? I always like to, to talk with people about, you know, the things that they're reading or learning and particularly jumping into entrepreneurship um, you know, from, from kind of a, a professional career, you'd have had a very steep learning curve. So what are some of the things that you do to, you know, build new skills or, 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 or understand things differently that will help you in your journey? One of the things that I've been hyper-focused on lately, and I have to give credit to my husband because he inspired me in this line of thinking with his interest in physics, <laughs> has been to read a lot more outside of what you might think is the obvious area for entrepreneurs. So I, in the beginning, I used to read all the books about sales and marketing and the kind of typical entrepreneurial books, you know, now I'm starting to read a lot more about culture and human behavior and psychology, because I find those kind of books really inform my understanding of who I interact with every day, whether it's a supplier, whether it's a distributor, whether it's somebody I'm pitching to somebody who's pitching to me, when you understand a little bit more about how humans function behaviorally and emotionally, it can be a really powerful thing to, to learn about, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. Well, actually, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one and for you and for the listeners out there, 
Um, you know, I think a person who's great at, uh, you know, human behavior and, and relationships and interpersonal relationships, which I think is really powerful, both in, in sales, but even more so in kind of team building and culture is Brené Brown, um, who has some great, um, you know, TED Talks and, and other videos out there. And she has a, uh, a book that I've just recently started called Dare to Lead. So, so you might find that one interesting and our readers might find that one interesting as particularly as you talk about those topics. Cause you're right, you know, like learning outside of your area, that's a pretty fascinating approach. Cause I, I, I have always tended to be pretty deep in all the different business books. So I'm going to have to, I'm right. going to have to take on that one. That's a, that's a, that's a really cool, um, that's a really cool idea in terms of a, a, a way to approach just building skills outside of your, your main space, but then getting things that are transferable. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, Christian, so my husband always um, says he reads a lot about physics and, and um, you know, science of the universe and so on. And I, I always laughed and I said, you know, you have a PhD in business. Why aren't you reading more business books? Because I know business. I live business every day. But when you learn about things outside of your discipline, it helps make things feel a little bit less intense. You know, it helps you realize that you're just one little speck of dust and things aren't as, as serious as they might seem at times in the entrepreneurial uh, quest. So, Sophia, as we kind of start to wind down a little bit, I think it's, you know, maybe I always get a little philosophical at the end of uh, who's, um, you know, because there's just so many, so many powerful things that have been said, um, you know, for the, for the folks out there who, who want to get started, but, um, you know, something's stopping them. We talked about fear earlier on. We talked about resources. We talked about lots of different things that kind of stop people from making the leap. Um, you know, what would be a you know message for them that you want them to really hear and take away um, based on your own journey? I think just that if you believe in your talent, your service, your product, whatever it is, take the risk. Just do it. You know, don't wait until it's perfect. I've come across so many people who believe that they need to spend years and years and years perfecting the idea. I am a huge believer that when it's at 60 to 70%, you've just got to go and you'll learn and you'll refine. Um, but the regret of not having taken that risk or not trying is so much worse to live with than the mistakes you might make in doing so. I think if I look back on my journey over the last four years, they have been some of the most exciting, adventurous, meaningful, fun years of my life. And a lot of it has to do with Caribbean Cure. And it hasn't been easy. There have been numerous challenges. I've shed a couple of tears in the shower, as I'm sure many entrepreneurs have. But it is so much fun. It is such a, it's such an exciting thing to do. And, you know, I still remember the day when I said to myself, my dream and the only thing I wish for is to see one Caribbean Cure product in the shelf of a pharmacy. We were in Pennywise. And when that happened, I remember just instantly thinking like, now I have a new dream. But those feelings and those moments of, of mini successes are, you know, they're so incredibly amazing to experience. And you should, you should take the chance because, you know, what you might think is just an incredible recipe for a sauce or, you know, a, a really great idea for a video game, but nothing more than that, they can be incredibly important to the world. If you look at some of the success stories, a lot of times they start out like that. Just people thinking, hey, I have this great idea. And, and then the world responding to it. So at least give the world a chance, you know, put yourself out there, even if it's scary, even if it's daunting, just do it and see what happens. 
Well, that was Sophia Stone, one of the founders of Caribbean Cure, tea company that's working hard to represent the Caribbean all around the world, building one of the next authentic, memorable Caribbean food and beverage brands. If you'd like to know when the next episode is, please subscribe to our podcast via your favorite platform. And don't forget, share it with a friend. From the Synapshot Network and Caribbean Ideas Synapse, this is Chike Farrell signing off.